Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. Begin this here real quick. Amen. So tonight's the first night of a new uh, book in the Bible that we'll be studying. We're going to jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So if you would, turn in your textbooks to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is in your New Testament on towards the back. Yes, brother. Well, it's a not, we're starting a new book study tonight. Yes, brother. Thank you for correcting my my grammar, my English there. But we are we're going to start studying the book of Hebrews tonight. So get your Bibles out, and you know my format. You kind of know how I do things. I kind of go scripture by scripture, and. And I just kind of break things down, and wherever we stop and plant for a while, we stop and plant. I have enough notes tonight to go all the way through the first chapter. But if we get into discussion and you guys want to break things down further, then we will obviously stop wherever we need to and pick up next week. So, you know, I've kind of been on a journey. I think you probably heard, heard, heard me kind of beating my drum lately. You know, back in the first of the year, we did the book of James on, on Wednesday nights, and then God led me the, uh, through most of the month of June and July and into August even to preach on uh, This is the Way, which was a discipleship-themed uh, message series. And so you kind of heard my, my uh, drum beat here lately um, as, as far as walking in the Word, uh, walking by faith and living by faith. And, and um and I think why, I don't know if it's because, look, I know that we go through seasons and as we mature, as we get older, our perspective changes a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. When I was a younger man, uh, I, I won't say I had not a care in the world, but the cares I had back then were totally different than what I have today. It was all about looking forward, getting a, a, a plan for my life, for my family, setting down roots, starting a family. Uh, you know, you know the, the normal things that most couples, you know, buying, buying a house, having children, and so forth and so on. But as you, as you get older, you kind of change your perspective uh, of life. I'm kind of middle-aged now. I, I'd, I, I think I'm a little, if my wife doesn't take my life, and if Jesus should tarry and not come back, I'm a little over halfway done if I live to the expectancy of most, you know, white males in America. Uh, so my perspective is definitely changing. Um, and what's also has changed, and I'm going somewhere with this. I'm kind of setting the setting the tone because anytime you have someone who teaches the word is, uh, or preaches, and, and they have a theme or a drumbeat, so to speak, is whatever is what God has put in their mind, their craw at the time. Everything seems to be tainted that way, and not in a bad way. But that you start looking at it from that perspective, and, and that's kind of where I'm at because as I, as I look today, as as technology has developed in our in, in my lifetime. I was born in the 60s, uh, I'm, you know, now we're in 2021. A lot has happened in those 55 years that I've been alive. And one of the major advancements is technology, and in particular, the Internet. The Internet opened so much up good and bad to our world. Uh, and, and, and definitely within the church world, it opened up a lot of good, but it also opened up a lot of bad. I mean, just a, of, a, of, a, of a click of your mouse, or today, not even a click, a push of your finger, you have unknown uh, wealth of knowledge as it pertains to the Word of God. But the challenge with that is, so much out there is not necessarily biblically accurate. Does that make sense what I'm saying? 
there's some good sources out there. Uh, I use the internet for, for study material because it's, it's, it's a lot easier to go out there when they're a, a reputable commentary or speaker, uh, theologian, to get their information, their study material on the internet than it is to buy the books and keep it on a shelf, if that makes sense. I mean, I have my garage half full of books right now because I haven't finished my office at, at, the, at, at home. And so, it, so it's, it's some good stuff, but you have to be mindful of what you're listening to or what you're watching or what you're reading unless you do your research, okay? Because there's so much false doctrine going on out there. As a pastor, this is one of my biggest challenges as your shepherd. I'm just being very, I'm, I'm planting seeds here, laying a foundation for the book of Hebrews from my perspective. And as your pastor, your shepherd, this concerns me. Not that I'm necessarily seeing or hearing from you heresy or false teaching, but I know that it's available to you. And unless you really know your word, you will not be able to determine what's false and what's true. Yes, Brother Gerald? Very subtle. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Right, it doesn't sometimes. It, it looks very innocent, and you and you, that's why you have to be like the Bereans. We need to decide. Even when I preach on Sunday mornings, you need to be mindful. I would never intentionally mislead you, but did I not mention earlier? Even I, God put something in my crawl, and I look at things from a and I say tainted. That's the wrong word, but from a different lens sometimes, or or it's from a lens that God's given me at the time. Hopefully, it's what He wants for the church. Is what I'm going at here. Okay. Uh, but I also know that people have itchy ears today. People have itchy ears today, and they and that's biblical, and and they're wanting to hear things that line up with their lifestyle or the way they they live their life or they think. Instead of letting their life line up with the Word of God, they're looking for someone to tell them that what they're doing is okay. Let's see. Does this make sense where I'm going? I'm kind of broad strokes, now we're kind of narrowing in. We're about to begin the book of Hebrews, okay? See, I believe God is all about love. I believe God is love. I believe the promises of God. I believe in the provision of God. I believe in the protection of God. Yet, I'm very convicted by the powerful warnings and mandates that the authors of the New Testament make. I don't know if the church today is really reading what the New Testament is telling us when it comes to being a disciple. You know, and I understand what ministers, they mean well when you hear them. This goes back to the sermon series that I just finished preaching. I, I, I get it. They mean well when they say that salvation is free. I understand what they mean. It is free in the sense that Jesus paid the price for our salvation. It, it definitely is free. Um, But, but is eternal fellowship with God an initial faith response or a continuing faith response? It begins initially, but it continues, doesn't it? You see where I'm going? We've heard, we, 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 we hear that. I, and I think sometimes on my Sunday morning message, I preach things, but I really don't get the time to really stop and, and, and open up and teach. Because said, I've said that several times. It's not free. It costs Jesus' life. And really, this, the cost of discipleship is everything. Your life is laid down. So I get what they're trying to say, 
But the way we're misleading people today, so people are saying, I've said the prayer, and so now I can live my life any way I want to. But that's not continuing faith. It begins with the initial, but Hebrews clearly is going to state as we look at it, there's a mandate of continuing faith response. There, there is some things that need to continue to develop in your life as you walk with the Lord. The Christian life is viewed from the end and not from the beginning. When you stand before God, it's going to be the totality of your life, not just the beginning, but the whole totality, even up to the end. It's as if you're looking, although we want to look through life with a front mirror or the front windshield, the reality is, at the end of your life, we all know it. It's a review of your life. And, and, that's, how, and that's how it's viewed. So, so I don't say this to imply that salvation is work-oriented by any means. I definitely don't want to send that message. Salvation is not work-oriented, but a work-oriented confirmation. Does that make sense? It's not that we earn salvation. Salvation is freely provided for us. But the confirmation of our salvation is confirmed through our works. Does that make sense? This has been a journey I've been on since January, probably when we started with James, Remember? And God has not let me lay, that's where the discipleship, this is the way part of it came from there, although I didn't really preach out of James, but it was a good foundation for that. So it, it, it is, it, it is, it's a confirmation. Works is not the evidence, or works is not the me- mechanism of salvation. Believers are not saved by our works, but we're saved unto works. See, all right? Works are not the means of salvation, but the result of salvation. Godly, faithful, daily Christ-likeness is not something we do, but it's who we become. It's who we are in Christ. If there's no change or changing in your life of faith, then there's no evidence, and so there's no security in that salvation. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm a firm believer in eternal security. I don't believe anyone can snatch me out of the hands of God. I don't believe anyone can steal my salvation, nor do I believe I can lose my salvation. But I can definitely walk. But I definitely can walk away from my salvation. Yeah, let me finish. There's no way you can lose your salvation in the sense of I lost my keys. Where did it go? Now you may walk away from it unknowing of it and wonder one day where is God? And God's going to say, I'm right where you left me waiting on you to return, as in the prodigal with his father. See? And so this is something heavy on my heart. I've made this statement very clear in Sunday morning, and I'm making it again tonight. My goal is not to grow this church numerically. My goal is to grow you as a, as a, as a child of God in the knowledge of the Word, so therefore the Word will bring forth a fruit in your life. What is that fruit? It's going to be your works. It's going to be your deeds. But part of that fruit is also the fact that you will be reaching people. So by spiritual nature, if you're growing in the Word, our church will numerically be growing as we spiritually grow. Okay. And so let's look at Hebrews because I think Hebrews is a great book for this very time, for such a time as this for us to be studying. We're not going to get deep into it tonight. We're only going to get chapter 1 if I hurry up, but it sets a great foundation for the rest of the book. So let's begin. First of all, does anybody know who, who the author is to the book of Hebrews? Paul? Sir, ma'am? 
Could be Apollos. Could be Barnabas. We really don't know. It's never been designated. Absolutely. We are unsure uh, who it is. Now, traditionally, Paul has been framed as the writer of Hebrews. The challenge we, we have at that, and remember, we're, I'm giving you background knowledge of, uh, of this, so that we've, we've got to set the foundation of this. Not that this matters, okay? But it, it is good to be able to give an account if somebody says who wrote the book of Hebrews, if someone comes up and you quote, well, who wrote that book? Okay. So Paul is traditionally has been accredited to it, but the challenge that theologians have, and I agree with this, is that the writing does not line up with Paul's style whatsoever. It's not the same terminology. He doesn't use the same style of writing. Although we know Luke wrote a lot for Paul, still he wrote in the style that Paul spoke to him about. And so with it, we really have a challenge. Not only that, a big clue to this, and there's a lot more clues, is the fact that, that Paul always addressed his readers, said a blessing over them, and identified himself. Every epistle. But he doesn't in this one if he's the author. So therefore, most people kind of tend to believe it was not was not Paul, okay? Uh, from, from the, uh, like I said, some believe it's Barnabas, some believe it's Apollos. Uh, I've even heard some, some say, some very out there uh, theologians, it could have been Priscilla and Aquila, and Priscilla actually would have been the one they believe, I don't know how they come up with this, I'm just telling you what I have read. She probably is the one who wrote it, but Aquila was the one who actually would spread it so that it would be from a man and not a woman. Sorry, ladies, but that was just their culture back then. We don't have evidence of that. But we do know this, from a personal pronoun used in chapter 11, we do know that the writer was male. It was a man. We also uh, know that he was a Jew. We're very confident that he was a Jew, uh, but just from his knowledge of the temple rituals, as you're going to see in this book, he talks a lot about the temple and, and, and the rituals and the substitutal work, how Jesus fulfilled all those festivals and all those, those rituals. So we were pretty sure uh, because of his concern for the Jewish nation that he was a Jew. But regardless of the earthly tool, it's very apparent that this is the hand of God. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this book, this letter, this message really was written because really it starts off as a message and ends up like a letter. It's like preaching and then ends up like a letter. But it's definitely the author is definitely the Holy Spirit. Now, any anybody got an idea of what the background of this letter? Why was it being written? Any got any of you got your commentaries and read or studied up or uh, studied ahead? I hope you guys are studying ahead so you can add to the conversation. But does anybody have any background as to what was the purpose for the writing of this book? Okay. Well, let me tell you then. The author is writing obviously to Jewish believers, they're Jewish Christians, and he's basically telling them, look, you've got to make a choice. Because they were, they were flip-flopping between Judaism and Christianity. Now remember, Christianity is very new, it's very young, okay? But what the challenge was, is where Rome, we don't, we'll talk about when it was written, but we're pretty comfortable that at this point Rome was not uh, martyring or, or, or killing Christians at this point. But we, all, we do know from Paul's life very early on in the book of Acts, that the Jews, the Orthodox, were already persecuting Christians and killing Christians, okay? So what he's saying is, is there was a turn against the, the Christian Jews from their own people. They weren't allowed any longer to go into the temple to worship. And this was really bothering them. And so basically the writer says, hey, look, you, got, you have to make a choice. You have to choose what you're going to be. Are you going to be a Jew, a Judaism, or are you going to be a follower of Christ, a little Christ, a Christian? 
and, and follow after His ways, okay? He shows the writers that the right choice is to continue to trust in Jesus. That was much better than all the ceremonies of their former religion, which Jesus had replaced, okay? So he's just trying to deal with an issue, which all most of these letters is what they are. Okay, so when was it written? Because we're uncertain as who wrote the letter, we have to look at some clues as to when it was written. I want to give you everything I can, okay? So, so yes, Brother Gerald? They are. We're going to talk about that. Yes, we believe they are, and I'll, t- and I'll give you a reason in just in a minute, okay? Yes, we do believe they still are, okay? Um, a bishop of Rome named Clement, he, he referenced this letter and used it quite a lot in his own writing, and he wrote about it in about A.D. 96. So we know that the book was written before A.D. 96, okay? We also... From what, uh, what is in the book, we could argue that the Jews were still carrying on, Brother Gerald, the temple ceremonies in Jerusalem. Okay? Because I feel, or I say I feel, authors, theologians feel that if the temple, which, when was it destroyed? Anybody know when the temple was destroyed? AD 70. So they feel, most authors, or most theologians, since the authors, feel that with as much attention as this writer gives to the ceremonies in the temple worship, that if the temple had already been destroyed, he would have referenced it. But the fact of the matter is, they're still performing sacrifices. That's what he's dealing with. They're not able to go to the, the, to the temple to do it. That's what's bothering them. We feel pretty confident then it was written before A.D. 70. We also know that there's a reference to Timothy in here. So that alone lets us know that it's pretty early in the birth uh, of, the, of the church. So we believe it's definitely before A.D. 70, okay? So that's how you wonder, how do these guys know? They weren't around back then. This is how they know. They put their, their sleuth hats on and they look for clues and see what they can figure out. And that's what they've come up with, all right? But what, whichever, we do definitely know that this is part of the canon. It's definitely ordained of God. The theme of Hebrews is the absolute, listen, supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ as revealer and as mediator of God's grace. The supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The finished work of Christ and the sufficientness of and supremacy of the Lord of that work that Jesus performed. Okay, so let's begin in Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. Follow along with me. And then I'm going to kind of decipher. Tonight's going to be a lot of just, hey, this is what he's trying to state. There's some great Christology in here. Christology, Christology, however you want to pronounce it. Yes, Brother Jim? He's not only showing Christ like like Hebrews does, but also Hebrews points out that the law has ended. The law has ended. Christ only. It's Christ only. Absolutely. That's right. Because they were bantering between law, temple, ceremonies, and the work of the, the, the sufficient work of Christ. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So notice how this author starts off. He gets right to his point. There's no, hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. So glad you could gather around to read this letter. I just want to just bless you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm so, so called of Christ. No, there's none of that. The letter literally goes straight to making his point. There's no introduction of himself, no greeting. He identifies himself with the Jews who are reading this letter. He's identifying himself. He says what? God spoke to who? 
our fathers by the prophets. So by saying our fathers, he's pointing to their, their ancestries, to their, to their forefathers, right? To the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, even on through Moses and so forth. And he's saying our fathers. So he's identifying himself as a Jew. He's writing to the Jews, thus he is a Jew. God has spoken many times, he says, and in many ways. In the Old Testament, he primarily spoke how? How did he primarily speak in the Old Testament? Now, there's, a, there's no wrong answer because there's a lot of ways. But what's the primary way, Brother Jim? The primary was through prophets, but he also spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Moses directly. Absolutely. He spoke directly, but how we got the word, absolutely, is through the prophets. And even Moses is considered a prophet. Anyone in the Old Testament who wrote a letter that's in the, I wouldn't say the Torah because the Torah is just the law, but they complete, include the letters from the prophets, they're considered prophets. So absolutely, he gave, he gave direct revelation, spoken word, um, to the patriarchs. But then, it, well, he even spoke through Moses, so I shouldn't say it, but, but they, they record it. Moses, remember, Moses came after Abraham, came after Isaac, came after Jacob, but yet through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses recorded Genesis, the first five books of the Bible, which are called the law, but it was through the prophets. Absolutely. He's, it was primarily through the prophets. Christ is supreme. Why? Because the prophets were sent by God to prepare the way for the Messiah. And that's, and that's what he's pointing. Remember, supremacy, sufficiency, all that. Christ didn't come to abolish the law. He came to complete or perfect the law. And so with it, this is what he's pointing out. Christ is supreme because the prophets were sent by God to prepare the way for Christ. Who was the last Old Testament prophet? John the Baptist. And what was he doing? He was preparing the way for who? Messiah to come. That's what they are from the beginning to all the way through Malachi, even into John, John the Baptist. He was called to prepare the way for God's redemption. God, everything in the Old Testament, like I said, the writer's going to get into this later in the book. Everything pointed to Christ. The sacrifices pointed to Christ. The festivals pointed to Christ. Everything that God commanded them to do pointed to Jesus Messiah, okay? So he spoke of many times in many ways, okay? They prepared the way by showing people their lost state and the need for God's help. They prepared the way by showing that people can't get to God by their own efforts. And they prepared the way with, with uh, uh, prophecies, and literally hundreds of them, about the future Messiah and His coming, who He would be, what He accomplished, and, and His coming. And this is really the key to the entire Old Testament. It shows God's grace and man's sin. Because of man's fall, God made a way. See, that, that's, and, and that, that's powerful. So he's pointing to this, okay? Now, while Jesus' name is only mentioned in the New Testament, as in Jesus, quote-unquote, to truly understand His supremacy, we need to recognize the entire Old Testament is preparing people for Christ's coming as the accumulation of God's plan, accumulation of God's plan for the world, okay? What I love about this verse or two is the fact that it points out to that God is a speaking God. We have to understand that. God has not stopped speaking. He still speaks to us today. How does He speak to us today? Through the Holy Spirit? I'm sorry? Still continue through His words? How about through pastors and teachers and preachers, right? Absolutely. He's still speaking today to us. He still speaks through dreams. 
God has spoken to me through dreams. He still speaks through dreams. He is a speaking God. God's spoken progressively from the Old Testament, even to the New Testament, even today. He spoke from promise to fulfillment. Old Testament is about promise. New Testament is about what? Fulfillment of the promise. There's going to be a way. Okay? He has revealed His way, His will bit by bit in the Old Testament. And they were rich. The Old Testament was rich. It was, but it was just fragmented, just picture snaps, moments and times. It wasn't the clear picture. But then God spoke to us through who? His Son. That's what He's saying. He said He spoke to us in part in the Old Testament through the prophets. But we only got bits and pieces over thousands of years. Just bits and pieces of what God was trying to reveal to us. Enough to keep us knowing. Enough to keep us acknowledgeable that we need His grace. We need forgiveness. Enough to we know His nature. We saw how, he, how He's worked. But then Jesus comes on the scene and we get a clear picture of God's revelation and God's plan. That's what the writer is saying here. He's saying, look, you're still looking to the Old Testament. You're still looking to these old things. That's fine. But all they're here is revealed that there is a completion in Christ. In Christ today, God now has spoken through His Son, Jesus. I think that's a powerful statement in those first two verses. God's Word through Jesus is complete. Yes, Brother Jim? The Word. In the beginning was the Word. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not in, that's right. We can, there's no guesswork anymore. There's no, there's no guesswork anymore. Yes, Brother uh, Gerald? That's exactly right. He quoted Isaiah when he came out of the wilderness and said, I've come today to fulfill this. This is why I have come. Absolutely. 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 Well, you had the bush, the veil, and even we even see into Revelation. And when Jesus even said signs are there to confirm who He is. And then He said signs and wonders are supposed to follow us, right? And then we see even in the end time revelation, there's going to be signs in the, in the stars and nature. that are, He did, yeah. Yeah, so. So Jesus is, is superior to the Old Testament prophets. But you know what I love about what Jesus didn't do? He did not, He, he, he didn't come to do away with it. He came, He, he uh, supplements the revelation and didn't replace it. He says, like you said, I've come to fulfill what you have read. So I think that's a powerful couple of statements there. Since God has no better message, listen, than His Son, He has no message beyond the Gospel. Since there's no better message than the Son, He sent the message, the Word became flesh, He sent the message, and because of that, He has no message beyond the Gospel. After Jesus, nothing can be added. Nothing can be added to the gospel. Yes, they wrote about Jesus. They wrote about relationship. They wrote about walking with Him. But they didn't add to the gospel. It's complete, see. All right. 
Let's look at verse 2. Uh, uh, well, we read part of verse 2, but let's pick up verse 2. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Listen, this is, this is Christology here. This, this is one of the most powerful paragraphs uh, about who Christ is, okay? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not the power of his word, it sounds odd, but he says by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent, excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. I mean, this is some powerful theological statements that you're hearing right here uh, that the writer of Hebrews is getting us, okay? He talks, it's all about the supremacy of Christ again. This is the main theme of the book of Hebrews, or one of the main themes. And, and the author doesn't waste any time laying out his thesis. This is his thesis. He's building a, he's building a case here. This is why you can look to Jesus and you don't have to look to other things. You don't have to look to festivals. You don't have to look to traditions. You don't have to, to, to look to, to sacrifice anymore. This, this is why, because Jesus is supreme. He is, he is the supreme one, okay? And, and so he, he talks about this. There, uh, there are several proofs here mentioned just in this verse for why Christ is supreme. He says, he is the heir of all things. This is the idea that Jesus is preeminent or superior, Right? He's the heir of all things. He has no equal. He has no equal. He, has, he is matchless. Okay? No one or anything surpasses him in any way. Jesus stands as firstborn over all creation. He's unsurpassed. As the heir of all things, everything belongs... As the heir of thing, all things, everything belongs to him. He owns it all. God says, I, I created it through you, really Jesus, if you want to split hairs, right? God, God spoke it. We're going to get to the spoken word here in a minute. But the word was actually Jesus, and that kind of blows our mind. But it's, Jesus is the work, and then the Holy is the word. He's the, God is the architect. Jesus is the overseer or the foreman who creates what God spoke. And the Holy Spirit is the work crew who did the work. He's the power behind what God wanted done. That's, that's a good synopsis of how it works. And so, but then God says, it's all yours. It's, it's all yours, okay? He made the world. The ancient Greek word translated world here is aeon, A-I-O-N, from which we get our English word eons, which means a time a space or a thing. It means that Jesus made more than the material world. He also made the very ages. History itself is the creation of the Son of God. He created the ages. I mean, everything. What was before God? There was the Godhead. God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not created. Jesus isn't created. They're part of the Godhead. So what was before God in the, in the three persons? Nothing that we know of. That he reveals to us. And then he says, let's make, let's make, let's make a universe. Let's make people. Let's cre he created angels. We know he created angels before he created man. So somewhere along, he created angels. 
I mean, when I start thinking about that, it, my, my mind gets bogged down. I'm not going to lie to you. It bogs me down. It, it's hard for me to put it. So, but He created everything. He, he is the radiance of God's glory. In this sense, Jesus is the beam of God's glory. We've never seen the sun. You don't see the sun. What do you see when you wake up in the morning? You see the beams that come from the sun. You couldn't, trust me, you couldn't, you couldn't see the sun. It would, it would burn your eyes if you, could get, if you could actually see the sun. But you see the light that's radiating from this ball of gas that's burning. Okay, only the rays of light that come to us. Even so, we have never seen God the Father, but we see Him through the rays of the Son of God. We've seen, we've seen God through Jesus, okay? He is the exact representation of God's nature. I want you to think about this. He is the exact representation. When Jesus walked this earth, His nature was the exact nature of God the Father. Okay? The idea is of an exact likeness as made by a stamp. Jesus exactly represents God to us. Exactly. To the nth degree. Jesus told His disciples, You see me? You see my father. He wasn't talking about in the physical form. He's talking about when you, you see his nature. That, what made him up. That's who God is. I mean, that, that, that's he's supreme, okay? He upholds all things by the word of his power. The idea behind the word translated, translated upholding is better thought as maintaining. It's not a passive it's not a passive holding it together. It's an active measure that, God, that Jesus is the one who is sustaining everything. See, I, mean, the, I, I don't know about this excites me when you just see the nature of God. In Genesis, God spoke and things were created and remained created, didn't they? You think about it. how how old is this world? Well, we we guesstimate. We don't really know. I mean, you listen to you listen to histor or, or not historians, but you listen to scientists. They'll tell you it's millions and billions of years. And can I tell you, they may not be wrong. But the creation that we see in Genesis is only six to seven thousand years old. That says this planet didn't exist before he created Adam and Eve. And there's a whole long stuff there I don't have time to go into. But just trust me on that. But, but in the beginning, he, let's just say, say 6,000, 7,000 years, God spoke. And everything he spoke is still in existence today. And isn't just existing, but it's sustained by what he spoke. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the one who sustains it, right? He said, let every animal produce after its own kind. They're still producing today. Let every plant produce after its own kind. They're still producing today. He, he said, let there be light. There is still light today. They, he created the stars and the universe by the power of the sustaining word, which is Christ, is still expanding today. Jesus is behind that. See, he is supreme. He, he's making his case. This is who you are serving. This is who you have accepted as your Savior is the supreme, I'm going to use the word being, person in the person of Jesus Christ. He made purification for sin. Jesus purged the guilt and shame of our sins. He did this himself, showing that no one else could do it for us and we could not do it for ourselves. No matter how many animals you killed in the Old Testament law, you always had to go back and kill another animal. Not any longer. He fulfilled the law he, it's done. 
The finished work of Christ is done. He, and he made a way for us for purification of sin. He sat down at the right hand of God. Here, here the case. This is a position of majesty, of honor, of glory, and of finished work. It's as if he said, Father, I've done. I'm done. I, not that I'm done, I'm giving up, but it's done. I, I have died on the cross for the remission of sin. I defeated the sin, the grave. I, I, I descended into Shul and took the authority over the place of the dead. Uh, I mean, they've released those who were found righteous in God, uh, have been released to be in the presence of the Lord. And he sits down and he says, hey, it's done. There's nothing else Jesus has to do to save the world. Right? I mean, I, I hope I'm not boring you with this. I'm, I'm, I, the writer's making a case. This is important to get to the rest of the book. You have to understand the case that he's trying to make to these people. He's like grabbing them by the ears of the cheek and said, Listen to me. This is who Jesus is. He is supreme. He's greater than any man. He's greater than even, he's greater than even the law God gave us because he completed the law. He is the law. He completed the law. It all pointed to him anyways. Pointing to the fact that you needed a Savior. Okay? This position of Jesus sets him far above all creation. He's better than angels. See, there was a dangerous um, tendency to worship angels. It was developing during this time, during, after, you know, after Christ ascended and the church started giving birth, uh, growing, and there was a tendency to worship angels. Angels and, and Hebrews shows that Jesus is higher above any angel. There's also belief that Jesus himself was an angel, which is still believed in some denominations today. Some religions, some, some outskirts of Christianity today, they still believe that Jesus is an angel. Mary Lou? That's exactly right. They, they were not. They, they, yeah, absolutely, they're not. They believe that Jesus is just one of... Uh, you could become a son of God or an angel of God, and you one day can have your own earth and populate your own earth or your own world. I don't know where they get that from. I don't really care because I don't. It doesn't. I shouldn't say I don't care. It's just false teaching. That's so untrue, so false. See, and 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 he's making this case. It was a real issue, and he's making the case that Jesus is superior to angels, and really gives us three reasons. First, Jesus' superior status is demonstrated by a superior name, which is not merely a title, but a description of his nature and or God's nature or character. Right? See, in the Bible, if you don't know it, names had meaning. Names had meaning. Anybody know what Gabriel means? The angel Gabriel. You know what his name means? Strength of God. Gabriel, right. You're thinking of Michael. But Michael means who is God. Okay, who is like God, rather. That's what those names mean. What does Jesus, the name Jesus, mean? Anybody know? I'm sorry, did I say a hand? Yes, Brother Jim? What I, what I read when I looked it up was the author coming up to this gave a definition of who Jesus was and used it as a name. Yes. Yes. It actually comes from. Absolutely. It, well, it actually comes. I believe is it not uh, Joshua in the in the Hebrew that is translated into the Greek as Jesus. I may be wrong, but I think it's Joshua. Or, or uh, the the Hebrew pronunciation of it is Yeshua. Yeshua. See. 
And over time, through language, it changed. But you're right, Jesus, but it means God saves. His name literally means God saves. When you say Jesus, it means God saves. So when you call on the name of Jesus, 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 God saves, God saves, God saves. You are actually proclaiming the nature of God. His nature is, first and foremost, He, he wants to save us from the judgment that must take place because of the fall of man. See, And you're, you're right, Brother Jim, he's, he's making this case here. His name is far above any name. We know what that name from the Bible that every knee will confess or every tongue will confess and every knee will bow out. What? That name. What name? God saves. God saves. See. Secondly, Jesus is superior to angels because he is the son of God from all eternity. No angel has ever been given that title. Why? Because angels are created. They're created beings by Christ, by God, the Godhead. Collectively, they're called the sons of God. They are called the sons of God, but none of them is singled out as called the Son of God. In fact, we're called the sons of the children of God. But there's only one who's been called the only begotten Son of God. His name is, is Jesus. And thirdly, the author writes out that Jesus is superior to angels because he's worshipped by the angels. When he was born, the angels, they cried out glory. I mean, they, they worshipped him at his birth. When he, when, on the night he was birthed, he was born. The sky's lit up with angelic hosts. We'll be hearing more about that in, in Christmas time, right? But yeah, it's not a Christmas theme. It's the reality that he's worshipped by angels. And to make his point even clearer, let me look at the watch here real quick. We've got 15 minutes. To make this point even clearer, the author continues showing that Jesus is superior to the angels, but by comparing their nature to one another. He now goes into the nature of Christ compared to the nature of angels. He says in chapter uh, verse 7, of the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So the angels are ministering spirits. They serve God and do his pleasure. We know that. Verse 8, but the Son, he says, your throne, O God, I love this verse. There's so much in these two verses. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprighteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, let me say that again. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. There's a lot to break down, and we're going to do it here, okay? Where, as the angels uh, serve, Jesus is... The, uh, excuse me. Where, as the angels serve, Jesus is in the place of authority as God's Son, okay? They serve, but Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, which is the position of authority. He, he, he descended into Shul and took the authority over death, over hell, the grave, over sin, on the cross. He took it. So we see that he's in a place of authority. But note, again, the writer emphasizes that God the Father says things to God the Son that he never said to the angelic beings. This is God speaking to his Son in those verses right there. Okay? Your throne, O God plainly says that God the Father calls the Son God. Look at it again. It's right there in verse 9. Therefore God, your God, has appointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your, com your, your companions. He's saying God the Father calls 
the Son, God. We know that. You've seen the Father. You've seen me. You've seen the Father because Jesus is the perfect imprint or reflection or nature of God. And right here is confirmation. This is quoting the Scripture. But he's talking about God calling His Son God. All right? When the first person of the Trinity spoke to the second person of the Trinity, he called him God. This is unique and powerful evidence of the deity of Jesus. Okay? All right? This passage also shows striking interaction between the three persons of the Trinity. Do you see the Trinity in there? All right? God, your God, speaks to the Father. You refers to the Son, anointed has in mind the ministry and the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit's always been the anointer. He's the worker. Am I losing y'all on this? That's a great scripture to see the Trinity. And all the author is doing. If I say Paul, forgive me, okay? I actually didn't say Paul. We don't know. But just know that that's what the author's trying to do here. He is setting, he starts right out to these people writing this letter, and he's setting up who Jesus is. Just in case there's any doubt. I imagine today over in, in Afghanistan, there's some Christians that might need to be remembered this as persecution is coming down on them. Many have lost their lives already. Uh, I've, I've been getting reports from our district uh, that several, several pastors have been killed in front of their flock. Uh, their kids have been killed and then the pastors have been killed. And it, it's just a sad, but he's saying, look, you're, you're going through a hard time. You're not going to be able to go into the temple. You're not going to be able to worship the way you used to. But it's time for you to decide, are you going to be Jew or are you going to be Christian? Are you going to follow the old ways or are, are you going to distinctively be a follower of Jesus Christ? He's the better way. He, com- he fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. He completes everything in the Old Testament. He is superior to the Old Testament. Choose, okay? Verse 10, And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like garments. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Basically, he's saying, Jesus is the creator of all, including the angels. He will always be never changing and never ending. That's why you want to worship a creation. Worship the creator. And to which of the angels have ever said? So in other words, when has God ever said this to an angel? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's quoting scripture. Are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are inheriting or who are to inherit salvation? Jesus did come to serve, but after he served, he came to rule. He's no longer serving in the sense he completed his service. Does that make sense? He died on the cross for remission of sin. He came there. But now he's ruling. He sits at the right hand of the God, of God, a position of power and authority. No angel sits at God's right hand. Are there angels in the presence of God? Absolutely. We know that there are, are, are the cherubim who, who are flying above the throne of God, who are crying out worship and glory and praise to God. We, we know that. We know that God summons angels to his presence. He even summons Satan to his presence, right? Job, all right? But it's all for the purpose of accountability or given responsibility work to. But they do not have the place of Jesus Christ. Angels are ministering spirits sent by God to serve us, those who will inherit salvation. They are to protect believers from danger. See, 
The destiny of God's angels is service. Jesus' destiny is reigning, or it already is reigning. Jesus is much greater than the angels since they serve and they worship Him. There's a lot there to bite off and chew, I know. Go home and read that again for yourself and really ask the Holy Spirit, what is the writer? What's the Holy Spirit trying to tell you in that? I gave you quite a bit there to, 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 to think upon. Any questions? Anything you want to add to it? Any comments? I know. Yes, Brother Jim. Yes, sir. Yes. That's right. It was, it was still growing. Absolutely. That's the power of his word. That's right. That's right. Seek the Creator. Yeah. It changed Einstein's thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. Dr. Hubble definitely did with that idea. And it's true. That's what I was saying earlier. When you look at the power of God's spoken word, which Christ is the power, He is the word. That's what I said. You've got to kind of put the puzzle pieces together. It's still it's, 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 it's sustaining, it's, it's still moving, it's still active today. That's why we can, that's why we can take. Any word in the Bible that was spoken centuries ago, and it still has, it's still applicable and has power today, because Jesus guarantees it. He is the sustaining power behind what is spoken slash written. See, it is the universe is still expanding, and it's, they're marvelled at that. They're just marvelled at that. Uh, if you're interested in a great DVD, there's one by Louis Giglio, who is a who is a, a, a pastor and. And he, he's, really, he's a really deep-thinking science kind of guy. And he, he, he does a deep... I actually showed it here one Wednesday night many years ago um, about uh, if the earth was a golf ball. How many of y'all remember that? Did any of y'all hear that? And I don't know how many of y'all are still here, are here with me back then. And he just talks about all the stars, the, the galaxies, and how, and how they're showing that, how they're still expanding and growing. And uh, it's really... It really it looks at... It looks at you know the, the 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 universe, and it just puts a, it just shows you God's thumbprint, thumbprint on. It's a really great DVD. Forget what it's called, but it, you can Google it. They may even have it out there on YouTube that you can watch. You don't even have to buy the DVD by by Louis Giglio. It's a great, great DVD that just shows you the power of God's word and how He organized things. He brings it all the way back down to laminin. The, the, the smallest protein that makes up the human cell and the thumbprint, DNA print of God on it because it's shaped like a cross. It's really cool. It's really neat. So thank you, Brother Jim. Anybody else want to question, comment, add to? I won't say take away, but add to. All right. I know, like I said, I don't apologize. Tonight was a lot of just, but really, if you really, if you really want to engage the book of Hebrews, uh, Go back and, and read that chapter and be prepared next week if you're going to be in my small group next week for chapter 2. And just that is the foundation for the rest of it. And put yourself in those Jews' uh, uh, shoes when they're struggling with persecution. Uh, they're losing um, 
They're losing their way of worship from Judaism and, and sacrifice in the temple. They're losing their access to the temple. And uh, it's, it's really a powerful, it's a powerful uh, word picture uh, of Christ. Do that for me. Do it for yourself. I think you'll enjoy it and, and just study it. All right. Well, let me pray for you. Uh, weather's kind of rainy. It stopped. Thank you, Lord. It stopped a little bit, but I want to pray for your safety. Father, thank you that your written word literally brings life today, God. It may be it may be written, but Father, your spirit brings it to life within our spirits, God, and encourages us and shows us exactly who you are, God, and it actually leads to your plan for all of us, Father, and I thank you for that, Lord, and I pray for those who may be listening by podcast, God, and definitely for those who are here, Lord, that, God, that they go back and they read chapter one of the book of Hebrews, Lord, that that they don't get so bogged down and lost, God, but just let, let them be able to see what the author, what you, you're the author of it, Lord, what you're trying to tell us in the supremacy of Jesus and the complete work that he did for us when he died on Calvary, God. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the fact that you have a plan for my life, God. I just praise you and I glorify you, Lord. And you reveal it completely through your son, Jesus. There's no question, God. There's no doubt, Lord. I may not understand everything, but this I do understand. You are God Almighty, the creator who created everything through your son. Father, who is my Savior, and I thank you for that. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, please give us traveling mercies. Keep us safe on the wet roads, God. Uh, Lord, and just as we go home tonight, may we be able to rest. Give us rest, Lord, so that tomorrow when we wake, Lord, that we can go forth with boldness. Lord, and we pray for Brother Ben and his family. Lord, God, tomorrow as they celebrate the life of this wonderful woman, his sister Melba, God, I thank you that she knows you. Not only does she know you, Lord, she's in your presence. Lord, bring comfort and peace to her family, God. As they Let that become a reality for them, Lord. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you folks. Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.